As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A quick note before we start today's show. In today's world of college football, things move pretty quick. And yesterday we recorded our show and after that, the SEC announced a few more games were postponed. We, we talk about it at the top of today's show, but uh, after we recorded Texas A&M and Tennessee and Alabama and LSU have been officially postponed. We talk about that as kind of a larger issue, and we also talk about whether or not the Gators can compete with Bama. We run back our Professor Rubin show, and we debate whether or not an SEC school would hire Hugh Freeze. So enjoy the show, and let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of Football and Grits, the SEC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I am your host on a Wednesday, David Oven. I'm here with Josh Kendall, like we are every Wednesday. Uh, Josh, you know, COVID-19 has obviously disrupted a lot, especially in the college football realm, but the SEC has, has mostly managed to push on. There haven't been any major games canceled. There have been a few cancellations. The breakouts have been on some of the lesser uh, programs. This week feels different. Uh, Auburn, Mississippi State's already off. Both have had outbreaks. Texas A&M has paused all its football operations. Its game with Tennessee is now in doubt. I can't say I'd be shocked if that game is rescheduled by the time that you're hearing this podcast. And then, of course, Sam Pittman, Arkansas head coach, tested positive on Sunday, a few hours after shaking hands with Jeremy Pruitt, hobnobbing on the field post game. Tennessee has, said they hadn't, didn't have any positive tests in their um, round of testing on, on Sunday, but it probably wouldn't show up that soon. The Vols have to be at least a little nervous. It feels like it's coming from all corners all of a sudden. What do you make of, of this situation um, that, that the SEC finds itself in where it had kind of been able to I – I don't want to say that it ignores is the word, but it hadn't impacted games in a big way. And this, this weekend is a little different. Well, the phrase not out of the woods yet feels particularly apt in this situation. You know, for the first half, 60% of the season, the SEC's kind of been walking through a pretty sunny field. And it feels a lot like they're about to walk collectively into a forest that's pretty dark. Um, we've worried, 
people who are smarter than us have worried for a while that getting into the fall and the regular flu season along with COVID-19 could present a problem and the SEC sitting here at this moment has to be worried that they're on the precipice of a real problem. Yeah, and I think too the whole thing is a little uncomfortable. It has been the whole time. I I, I don't, you know, I don't I'm not one of these folks that wants to throw themselves in front of the train and say this this can't happen. I think there's decent cases on both sides, but it's still uncomfortable. You know, the NBA was able to reasonably say you're not going to be infected. You're going to be safe in the bubble. And it was true. It held it held true for for the NBA's bubble. And those guys were getting paid. I don't want to get into a whole existential discussion here, but, you know, unpaid players here in college, you can't in any reasonable way with any level of certainty say you can feel good about not feeling likely that you're going to, you know, contract an infection to play college football. Players want to play. They do know the risk, but it's still hard to look at and and be comfortable with the power dynamics. Um, and now the SEC is kind of confronted with this with this reality now. Oh, absolutely. And this was always the squeamish part. You're right. I keep circling back to the summer when the SEC doctors or the the SEC, an SEC doctor spoke to us, mm-hmm. and what rang in my head then and now was what she said that. We think we're going to be dealing with this potentially for twenty four month the twenty four month time range. So we need to plan on what we're going to do. And I think a lot of their initial push through that wall when the Big Ten was postponing, et cetera, et cetera, was them believing this is not a short term issue. This is a longer term issue. And we're not shutting down football for two years. So we're not going to shut it down for one year. We're going to hold our nose, and we're going to walk into this thing and hope for the best. So far, frankly, they've gotten the best. But, again, you, every step of the way you worry, and as it gets darker and darker here in the woods, you worry a little more and a little more. Yeah, it's a weird deal. I, I think it's, uh, you know, this has been significantly – it's gone significantly smoother than I suspected that it might. Um, but, you know, this is sort of the reality that you recognize is – I don't even know that possibility is the right word. I think likelihood is, is a more apt word, and and here we are. So, well, let's get into actual football talk here. Uh, again, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening to the show. Leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. It helps get the word out for the show, helps us, and, of course, tell a friend. We've got a full week of content uh, on our podcast network. You know, you can listen to through this show, of course, our Big Ten ACC uh, and you know, obviously our SEC show and and uh, and our Big Twelve show, One True Pod, uh, with Max uh, Olson and Jason Kersey, and of course the Andy Staples show, the Audible. We got a lot for you. Uh, you can listen to those free or ad free inside the app. And if you don't have access to our app or our website, theathletic.com backslash grits, go do it. You can listen to all of our shows ad free, and of course access all of our written content. And uh, we've got some great stuff. We got some really talented people. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, I, I we saw a shift on Saturday, Josh, uh, in the SEC title race. Georgia and Alabama have looked like they were on a crash course. Uh, we saw them play once. Now, by way of Florida, really dominating in the uh, cocktail party. It seems like the shift is, uh, you look at Florida's schedule, I, I don't know how they don't end up in Atlanta. Um, Alabama, you know, We'll see. They've got that tiebreaker over AM. But Florida, Alabama is your presumed SEC title game. I have zero reason to believe that if Georgia and Alabama played again, it'd be any different. I suspect, especially considering how Georgia's defense and the health issues, it would be even worse. So I'm glad we get a better SEC title game. Florida doesn't have Bama on its schedule, of course, until the SEC championship if they get there. But if you're looking at that game, what is what is the over under and what's the what's the line on this one if they play tomorrow? Well, what are you expecting in that ball game? Well, considering I I nailed the Florida Georgia pick last week, no need to go back and listen to the tape there because <laughs> I was I was I was on that with a big Florida win. I, I, I'm a good person to ask, I think, for this. But you're right. I think that the short term, the longer term questions have been addressed and will have to be addressed further down the line. Is this a power shift in the SEC East or is this a one-off? But it does make for a more interesting SEC title game because we've kind of seen Georgia versus Alabama. And Florida, at least the Florida that played last week, looks like it can score with Alabama and at least have a puncher's chance. I mean, it 90? Is is 87 a realistic over-under? I can't see it really being that <laughs> I don't know that high. Vegas would set it quite that right, high, but, I, but yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw that number get up there. Not, yeah. not, not in the least. I mean, this is still not a great Alabama defense, I don't think. Alabama's going to score a ton. I mean, Alabama could get 50 of the 80-whatever 80, 80 by itself. And, I mean, I think Florida's going to get at least 35. So, yeah, I mean, I'm probably taking the over because I don't think Vegas has the stomach to set it high enough for me not to take it. Is Florida a single-digit underdog in that game? You think? No, I still I think it's Bama eleven, Bama ten and a half, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how everybody looks. Or right going into the week, maybe it gets bet down to nine and a half or something. But I I think it's double digits. Uh, yeah, I want I want to see this game because I think I don't know what the road is for this Georgia team to beat Alabama. Like I said, I, I don't know that that game plays out any different. But Florida, you know, you win the turnover battle. They're going to be able to score. They're going to be able to move the ball on Alabama. I think Alabama is certainly a more explosive offense, a better offensive line. But I want to see that ball game, and I think we're going to get to see it. Uh, I think you're probably right about the line. I'd probably take Florida there. I I think Florida can, can, uh, you know, mix it up. Uh, And, and, you know, in these big games, Nick Saban tends to – have his teams rise to the occasion. Yeah, give but me, again, give me Nick, give me Nick in the big game. Over yeah, I, I just think ultimately, you know, you brought this up earlier today. I think everyone wins because, well, except for Georgia fans, but everyone wins because we may get a, a really, really great game uh, in the finale. And I, I don't really want to see Georgia and Alabama play again. I don't particularly have much interest in that. Uh, is that is that an eight o'clock tip or is that three thirty this year? 
Uh, I believe they moved it to a prime time. I think it's, yeah. I think that it's game eight. might not that game might not be over until after midnight. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get a lot. We're gonna get a lot of good game too because that's gonna yeah. be a lot of ballers in the air. Yeah. Uh. Well, we gotta move to our uh, our new Professor Ubbin, uh segment. You got to take for us, Josh. I do. And this one, you know, this one wraps in the Georgia people and also the teams that are that are near and dear to uh, near or, or near at least to us in Tennessee and South Carolina. So, our veteran listener, listeners, that is the people of my age group, not necessarily yours, will probably be familiar with the Everybody Loves Raymond sitcom. So, there's an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where Marie, the mother-in-law, passes down a recipe to her daughter-in-law, but intentionally leaves out an ingredient thereby to ruin the final product. And I've decided that that's what Nick Saban has done with all of these assistants. He hasn't downloaded part of the app into them so that they can be successful. Kirby, and, and frankly, it's, it's the adaptability app, the offense app p- portion of the thing, because Georgia's offense is not good enough to be elite, Tennessee's offense and South Carolina's offense are just bad. And so, uh, you know, th- that is that is my theory. That's why Saban is undefeated and will forevermore remain undefeated against his former assistants because he's been playing the long game on us the whole time and just filling the conference with guys who look great, but he <laughs> has programmed a fatal flaw into each of them. Your thoughts? So, he, so, here, so here's the deal with this. I think you're probably right about the adaptability, but I think it's I'm I've said for a long time if you really crunch the numbers and what the value is, I think it's fair to say that Nick Saban is um, miraculously somehow underpaid. Is he also underrated is very possible. Um I don't that's hard to believe, but I think it's even true. But here's here's where I disagree. I'm going to go with a C minus on this take. What is the best program that one of his assistants has taken over in terms of the shape that he inherited it, besides Kirby and Georgia? Is it is it maybe Muschamp? Before are we counting Muschamp as a Saban disciple? Are we going to count? We're, that? We're, we are counting. Yes, if you've gone okay. through Nick's doors, we count you as a Saban disciple because the process is so strong, and and Will to his you know ha- has come out repeatedly and said publicly that he he models his program after what Nick does. They do it okay. the Nick way, so he's so, absolutely a Saban disciple. I think there's something to be said for inheriting not fantastic programs, and that the the task of of building a program up. You know, I've I've said, but this but a few every times. new coach, I mean, almost never does a Ryan Day walk into a fully formed Death Star. You know, that's part of that's being, true. But they've had they've had they've inherited some pretty bad programs. I mean, I think they have. You look at what where Tennessee was at when Jeremy Pruitt got uh, got to Knoxville. I think that is uh, an underrated bad situation. South Carolina then, was in rough shape when Muschamp yes. took over. There's no question. Mm-hmm. They are better. I think Tennessee probably is better than they were when they took over. But better is different from good. And right now, you got two fan bases who are hot. And Will, you know, Will Muschamp's seat is hot, and I crunched the numbers, and he's got a better SEC and overall winning percentage at South Carolina than Tennessee does, at, or than Pruitt does at the moment at Tennessee. So yeah. I don't think Jeremy's seat is as hot, but only because he hadn't been on it as long. I think the interesting thing, you know, I think the hardest leap to make at a program is that 10 wins to 12 to 13 wins. The second hardest is one win to five wins. 
digging yourself out of a hole is really, really hard because you just don't have any momentum. The easiest is five to eight. And then the second, uh, the 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 next easiest is is eight to ten. So if I'm ranking it, all right, dif- most difficult ten to twelve to thirteen, then one to five, then eight to ten, and then five to eight. It's when you're building a program, and I think when you look at the Saban disciples, they've made some moves in that middle area. We haven't really seen anyone dig anyone out of a gigantic hole, unless I'm forgetting someone. I could be. There's a lot of them. They've all kind of hung in that five to eight, that eight to ten. Kirby's the only one who's been able to get to from that from that ten spot to the to the twelve to thirteen and become like an elite elite program consistently. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think that you're right that you know Nick is not overpaid or overrated. It's hard to think he's underpaid or underrated, but he is one of the best, one of the on count on one hand best if not the very best college football coach of all time so you know honestly and clearly to hold anybody to that standard is unfair and unrealistic but I think one of the problems for the 13 other teams in the SEC is that they have decided that that is that they can recreate that that they can reproduce Mm -hmm. that that they can be Alabama that they can have another Nick and they just can't so it's bad enough if you're South Carolina and you're sitting here at two and four you're worried about two and eight that's bad enough but when you thought you know as everybody does kind of in their heart of hearts that you're getting a Saban guy and now here we go it's even worse and so I think that in the end, you know, Nick Saban's career will be defined by at Alabama by a lot of championship rings and what he's done, and you know the thirty. What, what do we think? The thirty to, to thirty-five foot statue they build of him. <laughs> but at thirteen other places, it's going to be defined. Unfortunately, I'm afraid by a lot of money wasted chasing something that they were never going to catch. And I think we may be at the end of that era of the Saban Disciple is going to save us era. For one Mm -hmm. thing, I think we're at the end of the defensive head coach cycle. And for another thing, I just think there's enough evidence that it's not just add water, create Nick. You know, there are a lot of other things going on. So it it worries me um, that so many schools have had the lack of imagination to just – to think they have to follow this one path especially when this one path really doesn't have a great success story outside of kirby maybe and georgia is such a kind of an animal of its own sleeping tiger what sleeping giant whatever you want to say that that doesn't that doesn't count fully to me you know josh you alluded to it offensive head coaches in the sec it's time to talk about uh, the elephant in the room Every year, well, I say elephant. Maybe the white whale is a better descriptor. Oh, I, every I know, year, I know who you're going to talk about. Uh, if 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 it's the guy, <laughs> if it's the guy I'm thinking about, I'm not sure he's as lily white as he once was. But this is the SEC, <laughs> and we can get him cleaned up and ready for the showroom floor in no time. I bet. Go ahead. Let's see if I'm right. I think you may be right. Every year, there's an there's a white whale that when when things go awry. The fans, his name is the first one that comes up. And this year, 
It's none other than former Ole Miss coach Hugh Freeze, who is lighting the world of fire at Liberty. Beat Virginia Tech this week. Undefeated Flames. We look at the market right now. I think there's probably four teams in the SEC that could, in theory, be in the market, or at least eyeing him. Vanderbilt, I don't think it's going to happen, but they may be in the market. Mississippi State, we'll see. Is Mike Leach one and done? TBD. It's not going well, though, for a number of reasons. And then, of course, the two programs that we cover, South Carolina and Tennessee. There's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot. But I can tell you, especially on Tennessee, Hugh Freeze's name is one that keeps coming up. What do you make of of this possible bidding war that, that could ensue sooner than later? Well, there's nothing like an old-school SEC bidding war for a guy who's got a skeleton or two in his closet. That feels very classic SEC, so that feels comfortable. <laughs> in, a, in 2020, when so much is new and unfamiliar, that feels very comfortable, and we can at least be thankful for that, I suppose. You know, I, I've entered the year thinking that almost nobody would make a coaching change because of the realities of the pandemic, because of the financial realities. You know, the place I'm closest to, they would owe Will Muschamp 13 point something million dollars to not coach at a place where they're going to be 40 to 50 million dollars below their projected budget or what it would normally be. Can you do that financially? Can you do it perception wise? You know, the SEC hasn't really cared much about perception, hence the Hugh Freeze conversation that we're currently having. So you probably can. <laughs> but right, for this, it, it's no fun talking about, uh, you know, everybody having a level head and realizing that we're in the middle of a pandemic and not making making a coaching change just for the fun of it. That's not fun. Let's talk about Hugh Freeze because that's fun. I'm with you. Vandy, If even if they're in the market for a coach, is not in that market. But Mississippi State, Tennessee, and South Carolina certainly could be. South Carolina, as it's constructed right now, the one that I can talk the most intelligently about with Ray Tanner as the athletic director, I don't believe is going to be in the Hugh Freeze market. However, Ray Tanner is tied very closely to Will Muschamp, just like almost every SEC AD is tied very closely to the fate of their football Mm -hmm. coach. And those two people tend to go out together in situations like we have here. So I think if you see South Carolina make a move or a move made in one form or another, however it's described with Ray Tanner in the near to nearest future, then that could be paving the way for South Carolina to be in the Hugh Freeze sweepstakes. If if there's no move with Ray Tanner, I, I don't think they get to step two with Hugh Freeze. But if there's a move, then everybody is going to be, you know, looking in the direction of Lynchburg. Yeah, I think what it I think what it will come down to is I don't think anybody's going to make a move and explore the coaching market. But I think what you may see is certainly some some conversations with places that don't have job openings. And if you feel good about your chances or maybe have a deal, a handshake deal in place, you make a move and you, you don't have necessarily a coaching search. You just say, thank you for your work, for you know the coach that you got, and then you introduce Hugh Freeze very, very quickly, short, shortly thereafter. Because you're right. I, I was naive enough to think that in a pandemic when every athletic department is staring an eight-digit deficit in the in the face that they might not 
make a change, that the security could be higher. And I think the security is job security for coaches is slightly better, but I also think we underestimated what happens at SEC programs when losses start to pile yeah. up. And the problem that you're going to have, or I guess I say problem, the challenge that you'll have uh, is motivating boosters to pay those buyouts. And nothing would do that more than saying, we've got Hugh Freeze. And that, I think, will be the challenge. I think most of those schools may stay may stand pat, but if, if Hugh Freeze is not coaching at one of the, one of the I guess, the last three schools that we mentioned – in 2021, I'll be surprised. Yeah, here's sort of the next level PR play from a news dump category. If you can do it quietly enough and you can get it all your ducks in a row and get it lined up and do your press conferences the afternoon that somebody puts the first vaccine on the market and you just <laughs> slide it right in there and everybody in the nation is celebrating and celebrating and suddenly you know somebody in the sec turns around and says what we hired you freeze yesterday okay that's fine i'm 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 happy about the vaccine i'll worry about that later so that kind of i think is the is the elite play if you can make that happen but you know i we're gonna wring hands greg sankey's not gonna like it greg sankey's gonna make whoever does it i think jump through a lot of hoops but this is the SEC, and if you're gonna fire somebody in a pandemic, you gone. You know that, that's not a far step from there to hiring Hugh Freeze because the guy puts good, fun football teams on the field, and mm-hmm. there are several places in the SEC where right now the opposite is true. So I think you're right. I mean, I, I think Hugh Freeze is an SEC coach in 2022. And maybe in 2021, at the rate we're going at a few places. You know, it's funny. You know, we, I think we both agree that the era of defensive head coaches might be might be changing. Yeah. And the funniest part of all of it is this sort of started with Saban disciples and because of Nick Saban. And there's not really a whole lot of offensive Nick Saban disciples, but I think that this shift toward offensive coaches is because Nick Saban has adapted. So the SEC – you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And we started the, the show talking about, uh, you know, or started the segment talking about Nick Saban being adaptable, and he is now adapting how the SEC adapts to him. So I've enjoyed talking myself. In it circle, always in the, the circle always him. comes back to Nick. It always comes back to Nick. <laughs> I'd like to be the first. To, we well, can be the first good. to welcome head coach Freeze and head coach Sarkeesian to 2021 or 2022 SEC Media Days, whichever it is. Welcome. We're happy to have you. You heard it here first. Media Days via Zoom, and and you were mentioning earlier. The only question now is which one of our reporters has to stake out the Lynchburg airport and when. And I think we should just pass that off to our college basketball reporters. I I agree. I don't want to be the guy sitting (laughs) in the Lynchburg airport from Thanksgiving until Christmas writing down the tail number of all these little planes that that come in. That sounds good. Nope. No, thank you. I'm I'm out. I'm I'm pulling my name out of that hat. (laughs) Well, that seems like a good place to stop uh, as the SEC's coaching carousel begins to pick up a little bit of momentum. We'll see. Well, thank you guys for listening. Subscribe to our show. Uh, Subscribe to The Athletic. You can do that at theathletic.com backslash grits. I'll be back again on Thursday with Mitch Light talking about the uh, SEC and uh, games this weekend. Might be a ranking or two. We'll see. You'll have to tune in and find out. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you again on Thursday.